Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Jason, I'm sure you knew this already, but I want to remind you, Budget Blinds is your home for the signature series shades. All hail our robot shade overlords. Hey, and right now is a great time to shop Budget Blinds of Lee Summit, especially if... You take advantage of Downtown Lee Summit's Love Local Passport program. There's a special deal in there just for budget blind. So you need to go check that one out. So are you telling me that we can have the security and efficiency and convenience of Signature Series Shades with a deal? With a deal and all the while through your supporting local business and a local business district. Well, I, I, I mean, briefly pause the podcast, make the call, and then get back on the podcast. Hey, and when you make that call, Jason, you know what they should do? I bet they should tell them something. They should tell them Jason and Nick sent them. Hello again, and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I'm Jason Arbery, and as always, I am joined by a man who's totally on board with running it back, Woo-hoo! except if it means he has to run, oh, is Nick Parker, the publisher true. of Link to Lee Summit. So I'm all for Patrick Mahomes running it back, but I don't want to be involved in the running part. No, I, I want to watch. I want to yeah. watch the run it back. Mostly, I just want like nachos and buffalo wings and the Chiefs winning. That's I'm good with that. That's fine. Uh, Right. We've given our part. We've done our part. We've signed up. So, no, absolutely. So, Link to Lee Summit, as always, is the source for all the news you need about our very fine community. And our unofficial sponsor today is the light at the end of the tunnel. Jason, you and I are not going to talk much today. Nope. Well, we're going to talk. We're going to talk. We've already talked. We've already talked. Hey, look, there's a couple little things I want to I want to go over, and then we're going to move on to do an interview. And really, I, I, it's a it's an overdue interview that you and I have. But first, let's talk about a couple little pieces of news. First off, let's start with the Lee Summit R7 School District. Jason, there was a lawsuit filed a couple years ago against the district alleging discrimination during the hiring practice for. Uh, an open position. It was at that time the communications director post. And that lawsuit uh, by Danielle Nixon has now been settled. And you can get full details on, on the settlement and even a little bit of analysis from a guest columnist on our website at Link to Lee Summit. Yeah, I don't have much more to say about that um, other than, you know, hey, look, lawsuits, these things happen. Um, but the bigger question that we're not going to tackle here is, is if there was a problem, is that whatever was the problem still a problem now or not. And if the district hasn't fixed it, then that's an issue. Not so much these things happening. Um, a, an organization as public and as large as the city or the school district is going to get sued on a pretty regular basis um, from unhappy employees, rightfully or wrongfully so. So it's going to happen. And it's, it's one of those things that comes up. So I don't want to make a huge issue of it or get into the, because I, you know, the, the settlement agreement's going to have some, probably some language about nobody's admitting fault and we have to do this and that. And there's a lot of stuff in there. So it doesn't really, it's not dispositive of anything, but there is some analysis to be had. If you want to read 
our, the guest columnist anal analysis of that and, uh, and see, see where that is and follow, get more information on it. You go for it. Well, and I think one of the hard things I think as you, as you watch stuff like this happen, Jason, is that it, it's easy to forget that a lot of times the, the outcome is determined by the defendant's insurance company and, and their determination of what is the most cost effective end to this scenario. Absolutely. So, and that, yeah, that's, a, and so as a, as a former practicing lawyer, recovering attorney, if you will, <laughs> uh, the, my cynicism, not cynicism, but it's just, I don't get too excited about lawsuits um, because they do, they end up like this, right? Even, you know, whether the plaintiff's claims were completely meritorious or completely made up, the, the net outcome is usually something like this. A check is cut to make the process end in what both sides determine is the most convenient way as a whole. So, you know, it does just because it's a settlement doesn't tell us a whole lot about that, but that's the way our system kind of functions. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, there's not very, you know, every thousand cases that get the, of this nature that get filed, like one goes to a verdict and, it's, that's an interesting stat, and I know I, you're. Just, I know you're just kind of. Yeah, that's a completely made up stat. Generalization, but, there, but the, but, but I mean, it's just such a huge quantity. They settle, or they get dismissed, or they, you know, the plaintiff runs out of money to keep the lawyer happy, and the suit kind of dies on the vine, or you know, the, just stuff happens, and it's so we don't get often like a real, um, a real resolution, even in the even in the situations where. The defendant, you know, in this case would it be the school district, but even if the defendant in this case were completely in the wrong and, and everything they said was true, the fact of a settlement doesn't give us that information. It just says that it was, that was the number that made it stop the sooner rather than resolved. later. Right. So it's just a thing. And, and then once again, it's, if this is a continuing pattern, and I know this had to do with the prior superintendent and some other attendant, you know, things that went along with that. If this is a pattern that continues, and that's something to pay attention to, but it seems that a lot of the things that have, that we don't know yet what those, what the next set of lawsuits are going to look like. So it's hard really to draw a lot of conclusions from it. The last note before we get to our interview is, Jason, hey, filing period is over for the Board of Education election coming up in April. So over the uh, over the, the course of the next few weeks and two months until that until that election, Jason, I will be working to schedule our candidate interviews. So if you have if you have questions, you have topics you think that you want to make sure that we cover as we talk to these candidates and we help you get get set to make the decisions. Uh, for who takes those two seats on the board, let us know. You can reach out to us, Nick at LinkToLeeSummit.com or LinkToLeeSummit on the Facebook or on Twitter at LS Town Hall. Absolutely. Looking forward to those interviews again. I, I enjoy doing those uh, every every election cycle. I think it's a, it's a good opportunity for, for us just personally to get to know the candidates, but I think also too just to put out there what the you know what how they stand on s some issues and to be able to follow up. Uh, with some of the, with some of their answers, Jason, I want to move over now to, to an interview we actually conducted last week in preparation for, for this week's episode. You know, when we first started this podcast, we, we'd kind of set a goal to try and show how easy it was for people to get involved and to support different things happening in our community. And we interviewed a lot of nonprofits and we've still done that 
over, as you pointed out, Jason, we are nearing a fourth year of this podcast. But we missed one along the way. And so finally, we are, we're going to sit down with Phil Hansen of the Truman Heartland Community Foundation, talk to him a little bit about what they do and how they manage several different funds and things that help out in our community. Yeah. I mean, in addition to being, I think, yeah, as you put it, a long overdue interview with one of the sort of larger players in the nonprofit funding space here in Eastern Jackson County. It also, you know, it has, uh, I, I would say, I'm going to say, I think the most tax talk that we have ever had as an interview <laughs> that's on, true. The, on the thing. And I'm not, that's not the and reason. we've actually to, interviewed a CPA or two. Right. And so just, just put that, but you know, there's some issues in there, but I think it's interesting when you, when you start thinking about money, you know, we hear like, you know, billionaires starting foundations and, and doing all this massive stuff. And, and those of us who have, regular human jobs and incomes and, and lifestyles don't, you know, our, our philanthropic efforts do not have that many zeros attached to it. So it's uh, an interesting Truman Heartland is a, an interesting way to help leverage the money that you do have to give um, in a lot of different ways, both for your benefit, for tax benefits, if that makes sense, but also potentially for uh, the benefit of a broader organization, letting 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 Phil and company do a lot of the work. So with that, here's our interview with Phil. We're here with Phil Hansen, the president and CEO of the Truman Heartland Community Foundation. Phil, how are you today? I'm doing well. We're going to first, I'm going to take a moment and while we're recording it on air to compliment you, we are recording this on Friday and, and Phil has appropriately tied himself uh, with uh, some, chief's tie, yeah. with some Red Friday gear, I have failed Red Friday in its entirety. I even almost forgot it was Friday, let alone Red Friday today. <laughs> but we're here. Uh, we have not had uh, you or anyone from the foundation on, and so we thought it'd be we're a sorry. great opportunity. Really what this is. We're sorry. Yeah, we're sorry. We've we went, and in order to make up for our obvious uh, failure to follow through. Uh, we wanted to have you on to just talk a little bit about what the foundation is and what you guys do. So, Phil, what is the Truman Heartland Community Foundation? Well, it's it's got many different aspects to it, but uh, basically, uh, we're a, a foundation that's owned by the community, and hence the name Community Foundation. So, we work with literally hundreds of charitable people uh, throughout, primarily the eastern Jackson County part of town. Uh, to pool their charitable gifts, create a common foundation that they can can utilize for the uh, charitable purposes that are important to them. So, you know, unlike the Hall Family Foundation, that's, you know, a foundation just for that family, this really is owned by, run by members of, of the uh, community. Uh, so we've got over 750 different funds that are part of the, the foundation. Uh, and, and last year, in uh, 2020, uh, we had $5.4 million in total grants and scholarships that went out to various charities. So there are a lot of different aspects of the foundation that I'm sure we can get into as we as we talk further. How does that, that, that actually work and how do you, I guess, or what do you do then as the manager of all of these different funds? You know, kind of what is what is your role in in keeping track of those, in funneling the directions they all want to go? 
Yeah, it depends on the type of fund. I, I serve as the president and CEO. We've got a small staff here. There are, you know, six and a half FTEs, seven, seven bodies. Uh, so we're all juggling a lot of uh, balls, as you can as you can imagine. Uh, so, you know, we have a we're a not for profit. Uh, we have a board of directors that's a self-perpetuating board. Uh, many members of the community, I'm sure that you'd recognize, and uh, St. Uh, Lee Summit is a key uh, part of our area, and a lot of folks from Lee Summit that serve serve on our uh, board of directors. Um, so an important part of what we, we do each year uh, is we have a community grants process, and that's really coming up soon, so it might be timely to, to talk about today, in that we have a number of funds that people have left to us uh, many of them through estate gifts. Um, J.D. Browning is a good example of a Lee Summit resident who created a endowed fund here with us now uh, nine years ago uh, that is really directed at the Lee Summit community. So as part of that competitive grants process each year, nonprofits in the Lee Summit community can apply uh, for grants. And then we have a grants committee uh, that makes the decisions on on those. It includes representatives that are part of the, uh, the Lee Summit Advisory Board. So in addition to uh, our corporate board of directors, we also have four different advisory boards uh, in the community. One of those being in Lee Summit where we've got an 18-member uh, board and a lot of those volunteers participate on various com uh, committees, including that grants committee and, and making those decisions. So there's uh, lots of opportunities there for people to get get engaged with the foundation. So tell us a little bit about the the community. So if you are a nonprofit in Lee Summit or one of the other communities here in, uh, but we don't we don't need to talk about those other communities on this podcast. Uh, if you are one of those and and this deadline's coming up, so what kinds of um, projects or 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 programs? typically come and apply for the kinds of uh, these grants? I mean, are, are some of them, like some of these family very specific as we're going to fund things in only this narrow area or is it, or are a lot of things broader than that? Yeah, and I'm talking return, referring to our community competitive grants process here. I mean, and we can talk a little bit about the uh, donor advice funds where it's a particular family that, that has a fund, uh, but it's, it's pretty broad based and we've got a lot of good information about it on our uh, website, which is thcf.org, uh, and the applications for grants will be coming up uh, in March. We'll actually be having a workshop next month for organizations that are interested uh, in applying, but it really, it, it covers the, the, the gamut. So there are a lot of uh, social services that are funded uh, through this, so grants to uh, organizations uh, like Lee Summit Social Services, um, Cold Water has gotten grants over the years from us, but also arts organizations, so Lee Summit Symphony, uh, Lee Summit Historical uh, Society have been grant recipients of our uh, competitive grants process. So it's, it's pretty broad, broad based and we really encourage people to check out the information on our website and, uh, and apply. Let's, let's let's make sure we, we, we're very clear on when this process is, because you said it's coming up. So when does it begin and, and, and how long do people have? Uh, the uh, applications are due in March. I don't know the specific dates, but if they go to the website, you can check that out. And then we do have a, 
uh, orientation workshop that's coming up here in uh, in February. And I think I noticed uh, a, a recent news release from from your organization too that there is a, a scholarship. Yep, scholarships available too, and and we are in that time frame right now as well. So, so I, I guess let's talk a little bit about that and, and scholarship funds and things that are available for for students. Okay. Yeah, scholarships is another very important part of what we do. Uh, so we have 124 different scholarship funds that we made uh, scholarships out of this past year. And we are now, as you pointed out, right at the beginning of that scholarship season in that students should be uh, going to our website now and, and making application for uh, scholarships. Uh, last year, uh, we gave out 326 different scholarships as $470,000 worth of scholarships that were given out. Uh, so it really is an important uh, important part of what we do. Uh, and we're getting into the busy period for uh, scholarships right now. Are, are there, are there I, I guess, can you get into maybe some of the, the areas that are, that are available um, for, for students, like the, the study areas? Uh, it really depends by scholarship. Uh, some of them are uh, particular to students graduating from a particular high school in the area. Um, a few of them are focused on particular areas of study, although we really try to work with our donors to make sure they're broad enough that it's not, you know, too narrow of a, a criteria for a particular scholarship. Um, so there's, there's literally, there's, there's 124 of them, so then they all look a little bit different. Uh, so no matter what area a student was interested in studying, there's probably something out there that would, would uh, pertain uh, to them in one of our scholarship funds. So, and, and once again, they can they can find out more and they can check that out if they go to to your website, right? Which is thcf.org. Right. We'll try to keep saying that for you. Um, you just you just said something about working with donors to make sure you know things weren't too too broad. So I'm curious a little bit. Let's talk some about like what you do with all of these different all of these different funds and how you work with them to make sure that that they're they're getting the impact on the community that they that they want. Yeah. So uh, another piece uh, where we work with a lot of different donors are what's called donor advised funds. Uh, so this, this is uh, really a simplified version of having your own family foundation, uh, but you're sharing that infrastructure, if you will, with hundreds of, of other families in the community. So we have about 225 uh, different families that we work with that have a donor advised fund. Uh, so basically people can uh, put money into that fund. When they do that is when they get the charitable tax deduction for that gift. Uh, then they can make grants out of that fund to nonprofits in the in the community of the, of their choosing. So it could be their church, their alma mater, mater local social services. Uh, it doesn't have to be a local organization, uh, but most of the the, the grants that we make are. Um, and we have grants that are happening on a weekly basis that are coming out of these donor advised funds. And in fact, you know, last year we saw a big jump in grants from these funds it went from 1.5 million dollars in 2019 to 1.8 million dollars and we saw a, a big influx of grants that went to nonprofits who were trying to deal with the uh, 
uh, COVID-19 situation and all the families and that are in need and are still in need. Uh, all those folks are unemployed uh, from jobs that may not, may not be coming back. Um, so we work closely with each of those individuals, but it's really up to them on what, what their hot buttons are in terms of charitable giving. We verify that those uh, organizations that they want to make a grant to are certified not-for-profits and good standing with the IRS, um, but it really is their, uh, their choice on who they want to fund. We often will, you know, talk with folks. They'll say, I'm interested in this type of uh, organization and we can provide them information on the nonprofits that are, are doing good work in that area uh, within the within the community. Uh, so they all, all look a little bit different. But a donor advised funds, uh, we've seen a lot of uh, interest lately, uh, particularly with the, the tax law changes that we had at the end of uh, 2017, where the standard deduction was uh, raised. So it's like $25,000 now. So if you don't have um, deductions that are above that level, there's really no tax benefit to you. So we've seen a lot of people who are using a donor advised fund to bunch their charitable giving. So they'll put in a large amount in year one and they'll be able to exceed the standard deduction, get some tax benefit from that continue to make grants out to various, their favorite nonprofits over the next several years, and then replenish the amount in that fund, say in year three or four, and again, be able to get uh, some tax benefit uh, for doing that. Um, but people also use a, a donor advice fund for when they're in their peak earning years. Uh, and as you're planning for retirement, right, you're putting money away for things you're gonna do in retirement, if you are charitable, you're probably going to continue doing that when you're retired. Uh, so if you put the money into the Stoner Advice Fund in those peak earning years, then you can get the tax advantage of that now when you still need that, not when you don't have income later, and then have that money put aside in this particular pool that you can then keep supporting the charities that you care about uh, in your retirement. So it's a a real simple tool, but one that can be very, very powerful for people. Phil, I think you have taken the crown for the person who's talked most about tax policy on this podcast. So uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if congratulations are in order, but we, we did. I, I wanted to say you did, that's the first time I think we've ever uttered the phrase in, enhanced standard deduction okay. um, yeah. on the podcast. So good job. Good well, job hopefully, on that. Hopefully your watchers won't be like, no, 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 no. Trust <laughs> me. You cannot be more boring and dry about like legislation than I get on a weekly basis on our, on our podcast. So you are fine. You well, did and mention- Jason is a former bankruptcy attorney. Yeah. I'm he, a former bankruptcy attorney. Stuff. So it's, really? it falls right into my thing. Um, you mentioned the the pandemic, and as we say virtually every week, has, COVID has ruined everything. Um, obviously, you mentioned that it has increased uh, the the desire to give, as well as I think the the need to do that. How has it impacted uh, the foundation and and what you guys have done over the last year? Yeah, well, when when the shutdown happened back in March, uh, one of the things we immediately did was start communicating even more, particularly with those donor advice fund holders that I was just talking about, to let them know about here is how the situation is impacting um, these various nonprofits. Here's the needs that they have. 
Uh, and we saw a $240,000 in grants responding uh, to that, that kind of request and going to these nonprofits who were trying to react and hang on during, during that time period where they're really having to figure out how do they do business differently and going from having a food pantry that people came into to doing drive through things. So there was a lot of activity going on there. So we did see great response from that. And as, uh, and we did see the total grants coming out of those donor advice funds last year go from 1.5 million to 1.8. So it wasn't just shifting money around. In other words, it really was a, uh, a true outpouring of, of support to to nonprofits. I mean, those and those needs. A lot of those needs are still there because there's still a lot of hurt that's going on. Um, you know, when and when you look at see what's happened in the stock market, is not reflecting what's going on on Main Street, as you guys know. Uh, so there's still a lot of work to be done in that area, and we uh, you know continue to urge people to to respond generously. Well, I want to. I want to ask this one. So, if I am a, a, I am of a family that that wants to give. I I have a nonprofit. How could how can I get involved? How can I maybe contact Truman Heartland Community Foundation and try to put you know funds that we have to work for the community? Yep. Well, we're happy to sit down with folks at any time, whether virtual or in person, to talk about what their charitable interests are and. Uh, you know, if they're interested in education, we can talk about scholarship funds. If it's broader than that, we can you know, we can talk about the, these donor advice funds as an instrument. Uh, we do have, a, as I mentioned, an advisory board in the Lee Summit that's uh, actively involved in working with us on various uh, committees. So uh, if somebody has interest in that, we can uh, sure sur submit their name to the particular nominating committee for the Lee Summit Advisory Board. As they're looking to bring on uh, on new members, so what kind of what what are you looking for in people to join these community advisory boards? And like you said, there is one for our community here in Lee Summit. But who you know who are you looking for? What what kind of person are you looking to to come really join that group and 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 help yeah. the efforts? Well, ideally, they're they're going to be somebody who's um, already actively engaged in other activities in the community. So, for instance, if you're going to serve on our uh, grants committee, it's great to have people who are engaged in the community and know about different organizations there that can provide that input. You know, that doesn't apply to, to everybody. Uh, but we're also looking for uh, financial advisors. So if somebody is a, a money manager uh, or they're a CPA or they may be state planning attorney. We don't need bankruptcy attorneys. That, that's fine. <laughs> nobody, right. nobody wants there, MRI. There's a call for those, but it's, it's not through you guys. That's yeah, perfectly fine. It's not for us. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we people come from uh, all walks of life, but uh, you know, typically people who are actively engaged can bring that knowledge to the table as we're trying to make decisions. Cause like in that community grants process, you know, each year we'll have three times the, uh, amount of requests money-wise than what we have available uh, to spend. So there's some, you know, tough decisions that need to be made there. Uh, giving, giving away money is, believe it or not, can be incredibly difficult. Uh, <laughs> when you have, have to make those kind of decisions. So, uh, so a variety of folks. So I, let, let's, let me go there. So obviously one of the, I think one of the interesting and neat things about the foundation is that it, it is, 
a magnifier of your impact financially speaking. I mean, you, you referenced the Hall Family Foundation and they they have money in sloshing in and out of there in the millions and millions of dollars. And I, I, I can speak safely for Nick and I that neither of us have that kind of money that we have set aside for charitable giving. But how much do you really need to, I mean, obviously I'm assuming the number is much smaller for, for need, wanting to be able to give, uh, to sort of hop in and help do what you guys are doing. What, yeah. what is the typical range of gifts that you're, that you guys start with? Mm -hmm. Good question. Um, you can start a donor advice fund with $5,000. That, that's our minimum to get it established. Uh, so, you know, they range from $5,000 to, you know, a million dollars. Um, so that they vary in sizes. If you're looking at creating a scholarship fund, what we're asking folks to do is to endow that, meaning that we're not going to dip into the principal. We're just going to spend what's earned uh, in, in the market on, on that fund. And in that case, we're, we look at a minimum of $25,000 to set up a scholarship fund. So that would generate about $1,000 scholarship each year to make it a, you know, a meaningful amount that, that, that's being given out. Uh, and sometimes people will do that over several years to, you know, here's my goal to get it to here in year three. Uh, so they may take several years to build it up to that level before we start doing scholarships out of that fund. Uh, so it doesn't have to be um, a huge amount of money for somebody to, to create their own, you know, donor advice fund. Again, simplified way of having a, a family foundation. So. Well, fantastic. Well, Phil, before we before we wrap up here, I want I want to make sure is there anything else you'd like to let people know about getting involved, about being a part of the Truman Heartland Community Foundation, or or maybe let people know that, that of some of the things you guys are working on? Yeah, one one two other two other things that I'd like to kind of chat chat about. Um, one is our youth advisory council. Um, we have from twelve different high schools about one hundred and sixty students who are engaged in what I often refer to as our school of philanthropy. And one of the things that these students do is work alongside our grants committee. So when we get these proposals uh, from nonprofits and if it's dealing with services to children or youth, they're assigned that grant proposal. Uh, they do site visits. Uh, come back to the grants committee and say, here's our perspective. Here's what we think on this grant proposal. And the cool thing is that, that the, you know, the adults on this grants committee, they truly value what these students have to say and in, in their input. And I've seen it impact decisions both ways in terms of particular proposals. Um, they also have established their own uh, endowed fund and they get to make the sole decisions on the grants coming out of that from the, the earnings from that endowment. And that funds now over $80,000 that they've built up. Uh, in fact, they're, they're doing a fundraiser uh, in March where we're doing a, a drive-in movie concept uh, where they'll be uh, encouraging other students to come. Uh, so all the proceeds from that will help build up their, their endowment fund. So it's kind of a unique program. You know, when I, when I think about it, uh, I don't know of any other activity in the area where students from all these different high schools come together when it's not about competition, right? I mean, that's the only other time you see the, the, the schools intersect. 
but here it's about coming together to, to build a better community. And it really is a great experience for these students. So we're just now getting into the uh, recruitment uh, effort on that, but we have a youth advisory council team and all the different Lee Summit high schools and uh, would encourage uh, students who are interested in, in uh, learning more about that, uh, contact us and we, there's information on our website about that. Uh, our orientation this year is gonna have to be virtual. <laughs> so we're kind of working through through all of that, uh, but we're, we're looking for students who really have a heart for service and wanna learn about philanthropy and how the community works together. Uh, so there, there's that opportunity coming up now. Um, That's a fantastic goal. Um, you know, it, it's always good to recruit people to help the community, but to start start with the youth and, and and teach them that early and how easy it is to do, right, to get involved in those things at an early age, then it just becomes a habit as they grow into adults. That's a, that's a fantastic program. We hope so. The other thing that's uh, kind of a key uh, initiative for us is what we call job skills for new careers. And really, we we were launching this right in the midst of the pandemic. Well, always the best time to start things. <laughs> always the best time. Um, we're working very closely with uh, three other organizations that are our collaboration partners. Uh, Community Services League is, is one of those, which is a social service organization based there based in Independence, but they've got locations throughout Eastern Jackson County area. And then we're also working closely with UCM, particularly with their innovation campus uh, out there in Lee Summit. And um, Mid-Continent Public Library is also a partner. But basically what, what we're trying to do is help folks who are in those dead-end, low-wage jobs uh, that could be, and frankly, many of them are the jobs that have gone away and aren't coming back now with the pandemic, but somebody who really you know, may have their high school diploma, but with just a little bit more training, for instance, could become a certified nurse assistant and could be earning a much better wage with benefits, a way out of, you know, path out of poverty for their family uh, with the, the training that they can receive. And then Community Service League also works with them in terms of financial counseling, providing other assistance so they can, you know, hit the pause button in life, still be able to pay their rent and get this training that they need. Uh, so, you know, what, what we have done is reached out to, again, those folks who have those donor advice funds with us um, and asked them to support uh, that training effort. And in 2019, uh, we had $120,000 in grants that were made from these folks to support that kind of training. Uh, there were 95 folks who were able to be uh, trained in, in the process. Uh, and then we also had a $60,000 grant that we were able to get from the Kauffman Foundation uh, to help support this effort. So, you know, there were some really crazy things that, that we had to react to because of the pandemic, you know, where you can't do uh, trainings of people face to face. Uh, I mean, if there's one bright thing that came out of it is that several organizations uh, that need certified nurse assistance in, in the Lee Summit area, we had, we had John Knox Village and uh, St. Luke's and also Truman Medical Center Lakewood, who ended up to work around some of the restrictions on, you know, if you weren't an employee, right, you couldn't come into the building. So you couldn't come in to do your 
finish up your uh, practical training part of the job of the CNA because they couldn't let you in. So the workaround, they ended up hiring these people prior, you know, screening them that there's somebody we want to have as on board as an employee and paid them while they were going through the training so that they could complete it. So we're, we're hoping that may be a model that uh, sticks as we go go forward because there's a lot of a lot of benefits to that approach. So that is a nice a nice highlight to come to come out of what was you know what has been really really difficult times for yeah. everybody. Well, Phil, I want to thank you for for giving us your time today for sitting down with us. Uh, we, we joked a little bit, but uh, I I think we do apologize that it is taking us this long. Uh, on the podcast to, to get to the Truman Heartland Community Foundation. It's nice to, to finally speak with you and get some information out to people on what you do and, and how they can get get involved. So thank you. We appreciate Great. it. We appreciate the opportunity and uh, happen to come, happy to come back in the future. We'll have you. Thank you, Phil. Okay. Well, that will wrap us up for this episode. We'll talk to everybody next time.